Welcome to Out on a Limb, episode 12, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. Today is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. It is about 1.30 in the afternoon, so fiat markets have just closed. So we have a number of things to talk about. Uh, last episodes have been quite long. This will be a little bit shorter, but with a lot of interesting pieces, or at least I hope they're interesting. And the first one, believe it or not, is Hegel and crypto. So Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. So if any of you are in philosophy, you may know dear, dear Hegel. And uh, what the heck does he have to do with crypto since he actually was uh, an 18th century philosopher, so he lived a while, in, in 19th century, lived uh, lived a while ago. And the idea is very simple. I was on a on somebody else's webinar the other day discussing various aspects of, of crypto, in a, uh, crypto podcast or something, and it suddenly occurred to me how really to explain the relationship between crypto and fiat, because the question was, okay, who's going to win? crypto or fiat, and, and then suddenly this popped into my head. I don't know, I'm not like a big Hegel expert or a fanatic about, of him or something, but nevertheless, this popped in my head, and that is fiat is the thesis. This is according to Hegelian dialectic. Fiat is the thesis, so the proposition, the proposal, the status quo, depending on what you want to look at. Then crypto, and yes, I'm thumping my desk, crypto is the antithesis, the opposite. And this is Hegel's view of how uh, the world basically evolves, which, by the way, Marx took and, and, and built the communist dialectic on top of it. Hegel was not a communist. And so you have the thesis and the antithesis. And really, if you look at extreme libertarian crypto 10 years ago, that actually is just a perfect, uh, a perfect uh, comparison or a perfect lens through which to view fiat and crypto. Then the thesis and the antithesis together form the synthesis. And you can apply that to political systems as Marx did, or you can apply it to financial systems as we're doing today. So you have traditional finance, TradFi, Fiat, whatever you want to call it, crypto, they're basically diametrically opposed. And you can already see where the synthesis is starting to be created. It's being created in the fact that that thesis regulations or, fee, or fiat regulations are being extended to crypto, but that's sort of a, an outcome that everyone views as desirable, although it does lead to a synthesis. But it's more that when you look at how crypto can be used and look at in, in the blockchain, I'm including sort of loosely in this term crypto, look how the blockchain is used in the, in the fiat space, you're really starting to see a convergence. Uh, there's a long way to go. That's a long way for being converged. But when when startup fiat exchanges like Robinhood launch crypto trading, and when somebody like FTX, defunct though it be, starts buying a piece of, in this case, Robinhood as well, or any other fiat company, and FTX bought a number of them, you're starting to see a real synthesis there. And I think it's an excellent lens through which to view the relationship between crypto and fiat. That's item number one. Item number two is a constant theme, which I didn't start these podcasts with this as a theme, but I'll bow to the inevitable because it's certainly developing. And that is good news is bad news. Look at last week on Wednesday when consumer spending figures came out. They were excellent. They pointed to a record Christmas, not just a record post-COVID or during COVID, 
but even uh, counting pre-COVID, a record Christmas. There are some nuances there. Perhaps e-commerce will be down and bricks and mortar shopping will be up, but it doesn't matter. And consumer spending now is strong, or as of last week, was quite strong. Fabulous news for a whole range of stocks and something like 92%, actually I didn't check the final numbers, 92% of all stocks on the NASDAQ were down that day. 92% when you have consumer spending, which is responsible for almost 70% of the US economy, very strong. Why? Obviously, if consumer spending is strong, that means they have money, they have jobs, consumers are doing well, the economy is doing well, demand is there, which drives inflation, and so it's bad news because it means the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, is going to uh, keep interest rates high uh, and not so much that, but it's going to be more aggressive in its interest rate increases. The real question is, December, is December going to be 50 or 75 basis points? So after consumer spending came in hot, the, the world is going, oh my God, we're going to have a 75, another, a fifth which would just blow away all records, and we're already doing that, extend the record that we're in now by having a fifth consecutive 75 basis point increase. So there you go. And that was the reaction on that day. The next day, or two days later, you have some uh, FOMC members, which are the presidents of the various reserve boards in the United States, come out and start cooling things down a bit. At least two and perhaps three, and I don't remember which days, but there have been three or four now, different uh, members of the FOMC have come out and said that it's probably time to slow, or it's still time, notwithstanding the consumer spending information or consumer spending data, it's still a time to cut back the pace of the increases. And there are really two reason for, reasons for that. First, in absolute terms, there's been a huge increase, right? We're up to well over 4% from basically zero. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, it takes a while for an interest rate increase to filter through the economy. You raise interest rates today, banks will follow relatively quickly as a general rule, but you don't feel the effects of it in the larger economy for, you know, some people say six months, some people say nine months, some people say a little bit less, but the general consensus is you have to wait about six months. And the Fed has now been raising interest rates for about 10 months, but aggressively for not even six months. So... There's a really good argument to taper back or scale back now the rates, continue to increase interest rates, but not so quickly, to see what the real effect of the older, or the prior increases will be. Now, then you run into, so 50 or 75 in December, with the consumer spending, everyone thinks it's 75, with all these mildly dovish messages from the FOMC, people are thinking maybe 50. And then you get to some the really interesting questions, which... Uh, the January-February uh, FOMC meeting, which straddles, strangely enough, two months, and then another one in March. Will those be, say, 50-25? Will they be 25-25? And all that depends on what happens when we, uh, when we do a 50, per, a 50 percentage or basis point interest uh, increase in December and see what the effects on the economy are. And it's really, it's really difficult. It's almost, all this is almost bittersweet. You hope for a good Christmas, right? Because you want everyone to have a, a good Christmas. You want consumers to be happy. You want retailers to be happy. On the other hand, if we have a really record-breaking good Christmas, it means interest rates are going to go up for everybody. So there's a real, you end, up, you end up sort of rooting for both sides here. But what you really want is sort of a gentle slowdown. And if 
the FOMC continues to increase interest rates so rapidly, you're probably not going to have a mild recession uh, or some people are hoping still have no recession, but you'll have a relatively dramatic recession. And then the FOMC is going to have to flip everything around and start cutting rates like crazy again. Fourth point is FTX fallout. It's really interesting. I've been more optimistic than most on the implications of the FTX fallout, not for any really any reason that's I think it's not serious or something, but I will say this: it's actually good that we had Celsius, UST, Terra Luna, you know, three AC, pick your poison in May, and the crypto winter in 2022. Had prices were prices still high, and had the Celsius debacle or UST debacle not happened, the crash that we would be looking at now would be of truly historic proportions. Instead, prices dropped a lot, so a lot of people naturally ignoring Celsius, ignoring FTX, had already de-risked, had already sold, had already taken their lumps and, and left. Then you had Celsius where a lot of leverage was taken out of the system, a lot of de-risking. There's still plenty there, don't get me wrong, but it was far less than it would have been with higher prices and without Celsius. So by the time you get to FTX, sure, there's fallout. There's, there's potentially Gemini fallout. There's potentially fallout in a couple of other companies. But it's not uh, the disaster and the, and the rapid dominoes falling that Celsius was. Or at least, I guess I should caveat that, it's not yet that much um, of a drop. And I have a feeling that the repercussions from FTX will be a lot less than some people think. Uh, still fairly serious but nowhere near existential. So to the extent that's, a, that's an out on a limb prediction, that would, be, um, that would be the prediction. Actually, it's a bit of a repeat because I said, I said something about that um, last week. And the other out on a limb prediction I made last week was that the FTX drop would, be, would signal capitulation. And so far that uh, looks to be the case. We dropped to, we just barely took out the uh, prior low from this from this drop was was at like 15.8, and so we actually went down to 15.5. So we went down a little bit below that. I mean that's less than two percent below, but we did take that out. So that is a lower low, which is you know for technical traders not a good sign. But we've come off of that fairly nicely, not hugely aggressively, partly because people are still really concerned about the last topic, which is FTX. What is the what is the fallout going to be? What more fallout is there going to be? And the, uh, and, but the signs are good. The signs are there. The last thing I'll say is uh, Sam Bankman-Fried came out and said, hey, we actually had $60 billion at the beginning of the year, which is, of course, before the crypto winter. Can you imagine if $60 billion had been sucked out of the market overnight because of what happened to FTX and FTT, Serum, et cetera, rather than eight? Uh, or 15, depending on what you want to use as a starting point. It would have been far, far worse. So the FTX debacle in and of itself is not as bad as it would have been prior to Celsius and crypto winter, and the repercussions would be the same. The last point I'll raise, the fifth point, has absolutely nothing to do with crypto and fiat, just a fascinating development, and that is parity in the football world. And yes, I'm using football to refer to what we in the United States call soccer, although for 25 years I called it football. And what the NFL does, I still call American football. So to me, it's football. But 
Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. And get this, Saudi Arabia, after the first round of games, is leading its group. That's insane. You could have made so much money betting on just, just that outcome alone. Just crazy. So Argentina, which is ranked, I think, number three in the world and, and to take the World Cup, is, may not get out of its group, which is just crazy. On top of it, Japan beats Germany, which isn't that much of an upset because the Japanese team has been quite good over the last uh, several World Cups. But nevertheless, beating Germany in the World Cup is insane. And then Canada almost took out Belgium, and Belgium's the, the number two. So what you see, uh, what you're seeing now is lack, uh, or the, the beginning of the end of the dominance by Western European and South American teams, and a lot of expertise, and granted some of the best players play in those leagues anyway, although that's not true of Saudi Arabia. Uh, so they get training in the, in the major markets. The talent is starting to spread out, particularly when divided on a, on a national basis. So if you're, uh, if you're like me and following the World Cup, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. And then the last bit of parody I would, I would mention, if Wales, with a population of about 9 million people, can draw with the United States with a population of about 320 million people, that is another really good example of, of parody. And as much as I was rooting for the Yanks, Hell of a job, Wales. Uh, you, you've got our respect. And with that, we'll speak again next week. I hope you guys all have a good Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. and a good rest of the week if you're not. Take care.